Are you looking to take your media strategy to the next level and make impact with millions of customers? Walmart Connect harnesses the massive reach of America's number one retailer. They can help you connect more meaningfully with Walmart's 139 million weekly online and in-store customers to find the right audience for your message. They use Walmart's proprietary customer purchase data to help you precisely target even niche audiences at scale. Visit walmartconnect.com today to see how they can help you find the customers you want at the scale you need. And welcome back, everybody. You all, I'm so excited for today's episode because I can't believe I'm about to say this. We have Chef Emerald here and his son, EJ. And I cannot believe this. It's so surreal because I've grown up watching Chef Emerald and just all the stuff he's done and such an inspiration. I like to cook for fun. Uh, I like to think of myself as a amateur chef, you know, <laughs> a little something in the kitchen. Um, anywho, you all, this is crazy. This is crazy. I can't believe we're here. I honestly feel like at this point, um, Chef Emerald and EJ, they're family. So I'm putting this out there. It's now Chef Emerald and Cousin EJ at this point. I mean, Uncle Emerald and Cousin EJ. There we go. That's what we're doing. They're family here. Honestly, the conversation felt like I was sitting down, hanging out with my favorite cousin and my favorite uncle. So that's what's going down at this point. I'm going on the record saying that. So anywho, if you like food, if you like cooking, if you just want to hang out, this is the episode for you. And we're going to get into all of that. And Chef Emerald just walks us through the legacy, how EJ is carrying it, and all the above. So let's get into today's episode and hang out with your favorite family relatives. <laughs> Emerald, EJ, welcome to the show. How are you guys? We're great, we're great Colin. Colin. Thanks Thank for having you us. so much for having us. So glad to have you guys here. Um, but before we get started, we always do the question of what does the word young influential mean to you? And there's no right or wrong answer. Oh, you want to you want to answer that for us? Oh, he was asking, uh, uh, you know, what does what does young influential mean to you? Well, I, I think it I think it says uh, just what it says: young, uh, making things happen, uh, carving new roads, uh, maybe paving old roads. <laughs> um, well, that would be my start. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to piggyback on that, I think that it that you know, for for me being a, a a young person, I think it's finding people that are uh, young that are also, uh, you know, trying to do something on their own and really, and really, uh, as he said, carve new roads and stuff like that. And and I think that um, I, I I just admire those people. I take great inspiration from it. So that's what when I when I think of young influential, that's yeah. That's what I mean, comes to and me. we're in a very uh, sort of uh, new position these days, right? Because after the pandemic, which I'm very tired of hearing that name, but um, it's like you know the labor the labor market and uh, and the workforce is much much different today, and so uh, finding young influential people is not the easiest the easiest thing to do, but when you do, uh, and they want to be inspired, uh, want to learn, uh, want to grow, uh, that makes the road easier to pave. Yeah, surely. Come on with those great answers, both of those. Come on, <laughs> professionals over here. <laughs> um, but for my first question to like jump into it, um, 
where did uh when did your guys's love for cooking stem from or like when did it start like joint jointly you mean uh like individually like yeah, you both yeah. can share when you started out man well i mean for me my first influence was my mom uh probably seven or eight years old uh second inspiration was my dad which was a backyard garden uh for that it turned into basic cooking mostly soup vegetable soup in home uh and then i started uh uh i was 10 or 11 years old i started washing pots and pans in a neighborhood bakery uh portuguese bakery and did that for a while and then um got liked by the owners and then i went on deliveries then i started baking basic stuff, donuts, Danish, and then got into the the Portuguese bakers uh, taking a liking to me, teaching me about bread and that whole thing. And, um, and then that was the, that was the beginning of the road. And then, then cooking came uh, beside baking. I thought I was going to be a baker. Didn't know the word pastry chef. I just knew the word baker. Um, and then the cooking thing started happening and kept evolving and learning, kept evolving and just um, f- finding mentors a- along the way. I love that. And EJ, what about you? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was um, I was influenced in the kitchen from, I mean, basically the second I was born. Uh, I think some of the youngest family photos are like you and I peeling carrots together and like my, uh, you know, year and a half old, two year old self, just grinning, like the massive smiles at, uh, sitting there and watching him in the kitchen and things like that. So it was a very early love of, uh, seeing food happen, just seeing that sort of interaction that, that human connection that comes from, from food. And then, you know, growing up the family table was the biggest thing. You know, my dad obviously, uh, worked a lot and, and spent a lot of time, uh, in the studio and filming and then also in the restaurants. And so when I was a kid, it was a very special moment when we would get a Sunday or a Monday uh, where, where he was in the, at, at home and, and, and cooking and cooking for us and with us. And um, so I really cherished those, you know, family table moments. And then um, as I started cooking, uh, I think it was about eight or nine at Emeralds and I, and I spilt I think three dozen eggs on myself in a pastry morning. And he told me I couldn't, uh, I'd have to go work for someone else before I could work for him again. Uh, and so that was the start of that. And then uh, just getting out and about, um, I'm from New York. I, I, I grew up and spent a lot of time in New York. So uh, worked in New York and then uh, went to culinary school and then worked elsewhere overseas. And then, uh, you know, the, earlier this year, um, got back at a, uh, Got back to uh, to Emeralds here in New Orleans, and uh, you know, just kind of starting this uh, this journey together. It's been great. I, I, I think your uh, one of your breaking moments also was working with Eric. Gosh, really you know, was spending super, two summers at Laverna Den was super inspirational. Yeah, with Eric Repair, I think was a, an, another milestone for EJ uh, as far as growing and learning and really understanding uh, truly fine dining. Well, well, but I think the big thing about, and I think this also ties in back to your first question about finding young influentials and what that means today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that working with Eric was sort of the first glimpse of like, you don't have to work in an environment that's a toxic 
work environment, right? Right. You don't have to uh, kind of do things the old school way. There's a very respectful approach to a very leadership, modern, a very modern yeah. and contemporary approach to leadership and things in the kitchen. And, you know, I, I think for years it was like glorified, like these chefs just like losing their minds on people. <laughs> and, and Eric really... Uh, very it was very different and there was never there was never going to be that accepted in the kitchen and so i think that i've taken that into my the way that i you know try to try to try to lead these days and and i think that um you know you you've you've commented on the fact that that's that's where you see that and especially after the pandemic i think people just said like you know well, we're not going to deal with that anymore you see that like mm-hmm. the great uh resignation or whatever they were yeah they were <laughs> people weren't going to deal with it anymore and so and i and i think that that us as chefs, restaurateurs, and leaders in the in in for our team and for the industry, I think that it's a massive step. And so, um, you know, working hard towards that, I think Eric was a huge inspiration for personally myself, and also from you, yeah. from just a friend yeah, friendship absolutely. with him. That yeah. hey, like it doesn't have to be like that. You know what I mean? Right. He's an incredible human being, a great colleague, phenomenal chef. Obviously, look, LeBernardin is just celebrating their fiftieth year. That's a that's a pretty big thing. Just to, you know, I, I look at uh, I look at what we've accomplished at Emeralds, and you know, being open thirty three years, and I'm trying to grasp my put my hands around fifty years. It's just like you know, uh, hopefully, hopefully we get there. <laughs> nice. And I feel like I feel like you both touched on like pivotal. It seems like you got both had pivotal moments and pivotal people that really made you guys realize we're like, no, like this is actually what I want to do. Like, uh, can you both recall like that moment where, whether it was working with the mentor or a first job or something where you had the moment where you're like, wow, this is my calling. This is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, uh, as a young, as a young cook, as a young chef that, um, I instantly, I, I had a friend, uh, a Greek friend, um, in, in really one of my first jobs that said to me is a very, very interesting human being. And he was a baker actually. And he, and he was like, listen, you know, I, I if, if you're going to be anything and if you're going to lead anything, you have to have a mentor and you have to do that and be that. And he said, you know, one of the things that I do is I read motivational books and try to understand what the person that wrote the book is doing and saying and take that in and apply it to myself. And I, I was kind of scratching my head and maybe slept on it for a couple of nights thinking about what he was saying. And then was just like, okay, I, I get that. And uh, I read my first book that I read was um, a book by, uh, by the, by the author of name of uh, Dr. Arthur Schwartz. And the name of the book was called The Magic of Thinking Big. And what I realized is that if you think big, then you're going to be big. And if you think small, then probably you're going to end up just being small. And part of thinking big is to have a mentor and always to have a mentor to keep learning and growing and challenging yourself. And so I've lived by that since that day. And I still live by that every day. Well, and and you certainly one of the big things that rubbed off on me just growing up, I mean, just with you as a dad was, was if you have a mentality, you have a goal, you have something, um, 
you must stay on it. You can't let anybody sort of knock you off the right. off the path. And, and plenty of people want to. Yeah, and and, mm-hmm. and then you and then that becomes sort of um, how you move yourself along down the road. So I take that from him, just um, just in, in in that, and that all stems from from some of your early inspirations. Yeah, you know, and even to the thing where you know, um, you know, I, I you know, I'm really right now. I'm really cooking for my my guests my customers you know i'm not all wrapped up uh i know a lot of my colleagues are wrapped up in who's going to be the next critic that's going to visit and what's the next review that's going to be written and that's all good trust trust me you know that that's part of the way too but the end of the day is that um i have an obligation to to my clientele to my my customers and so I have to get up every day and try a little bit better than I did the day before and try to make it a better experience every day so that they can continue to keep coming back. Yeah. And, and that for me was was one of one of the most pivotal things in me saying, OK, this is this is me. This is what I'm going to do. I think it was just like the art of taking care of people. Right. Like the art of hospitality mm-hmm. is such an amazing, fulfilling experience. Yeah. Um, I, we've, we always have this joke that like, if everybody in the world was forced to work in the restaurant business at some point in their life, I think the world would just be like that much more of a respectful, <laughs> uh, um, uh, place. Yeah. Uh, you may at least get a thank you. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> possibly, just possibly. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that, I mean, he, he said it, taking care of people is why we do what we do. And so I think it was, um, I think it was that very early on that I was like, okay, I want to take care of people. And, and was it was it going to be as a restaurant director, as a as a as in this sort of a front of the house uh, operations position? Was it going to be as a chef? Was it going to be? And, and then I said, you know, I I think I can I can learn and 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 keep learning for you know the rest of my life how to cook and try to get better and better at that, while also learning business aspects of things and and. But it all stems from from taking care of people. So my my early realization was that I really wanted to take care of people. And funny enough, I mean, just hearing your answer then, I think that that yours was uh, was that you you wanted to take care of people. Um, and I think we came to that realization in two very different ways. And it's it's quite cool that that's uh, yeah that's how that's happened. Yeah, yesterday was yesterday, you know, and yeah. today's today. So. You know, in a couple of hours, we're going to get ready, he and I, to get ready for service. I'm and, waiting on a fish delivery. I still haven't got the, the – <laughs> I mean, dying over here in this meeting right. as I'm waiting for this text. <laughs> and I think what you guys brought up is, like, two pivotal things. Like, I think it's so important to kind of do that self-reflection and kind of figure out, be like, okay, what is it? And then, like, what you said, EJ, of, like, is it, like, being a director? Is it being this? And a lot of times, like, people don't really take that moment to be like – okay, this is it, what I want to do, what are like the different ideas I can have and what are some ways I can kind of try it out to kind of see where I fit into this industry or into this like roadmap or whatnot. People just think like, oh, that. And then like, it'll just happen. It's kind of like people when they're like, I want to be a lawyer. It's like, well, what type of law do you want to practice? Yeah. It's the same, it's the same, you know, it's, you see it across, uh, across the spectrum, I think it's the same, it's the same deal. But I, I agree with you taking that moment I mean, as a young person, I don't know if I should be handing out advice, but my advice <laughs> to any, to any uh, young people there would be, you know, um, try to have that self-realization and take that moment to sort of step back from everything and go, you know, because I, I think if you take yourself and you commit yourself 100% to something, you can get quite good at it. 
You know what I mean? Like if yeah. you really, if you focus in, you can get pretty good at, at what, if you commit to it, you can get mm-hmm. pretty, pretty good at it. Yeah. And so my advice would be to kind of step back and then pick your narrow mm-hmm. road and, and run and that. And there's a great understanding that, uh, you know, the thing that fascinates me about cooking is that there's, it's, there's so much out there that yeah. if you cook for 50 years, you know, you're probably going to get about that much and what is probably still that much out mm-hmm. there to learn because of different cultures and influences and parts of the world and ingredients and, uh, and, and, and different seafood, depending on where you are in the world. It's just, you know, exactly. And Emeril, you brought up a good point earlier talking about like books and things. And I feel like um, as a chef, when a lot of times you're coming with like books and recipes and stuff, it's hard to kind of like, synthesize that down and be like okay this is what we're gonna put in here i always found it fascinating from your different books of like how you come up with like all right for this book this is what we're gonna do for we're gonna have these amount of recipes i feel like trying to basically put together like different aspects of your like repertoire of like what you can make can be difficult would you agree you know i i think uh, colin i i think uh a lot of that is just um the inspiration of the moment of what you're going into, right? So new New Orleans cooking was a different time in my life and uh, a, a different uh, a different phase of what I was trying to express, you know? Yeah. Real and rustic was a very different time and a very different place and a very different way of expressing myself about, you know, the, 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 the country of Louisiana. And, you know, and... You know, Essential Emerald was basically just, you know, a compilation finally of all of this travel and all of these these people, these, you know, guys and gals and uh, that I that I met or, you know, just characters that I've met that, you know, to to express myself. So, I mean, I I think the same thing goes today. And I'll let DJ speak about this because right now, you know, he's going through that as well with you know, the menu changes, or we just changed our menu last night to the winter menu. But it's like, I'm inspired by the weather. I'm inspired by ingredients. I'm inspired about techniques of the moment. It could be Asian. It could be Portuguese. It could be, but it's things that I really know. And I think we went through a phase for a long time of where people were doing things that they really didn't understand and really know, Mm -hmm. you know, Louisiana cooking is an example. Everything was blackened at some point. The house was blackened. The bus was blackened. The fish, everything was black. Yeah, everything was Creole season. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Gen- genuinely. I mean. where, where today, I, th- I think you, you look at it from a very different perspective. Like you're looking already at the spring. Well, I've, well, I've just finished the summer menu for next year. Right. So, I mean, that, that's, you know, we, 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 we're constantly – but I got to tell you something, Colin. I think a lot of it is definitely – it's definitely ingredient-driven. Oh, 100%. And the seasonality availability of the of, of, of these ingredients. And, you know, it's it's not like it was maybe 40 years ago, 50 years ago, where it genuinely – what like you could not get certain things. Right. Well, 40 years ago, it was more about technique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You braised in the winter and you grilled in the summer and you sautéed in the spring. Yeah. You know – now it's really mostly ingredient driven, at sure. least for at least for us. Well, I, and I think for a lot of restaurants worldwide, really, you know, and 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 we talk all the time about how Europe, Europe, and, and and North Africa have really, 
incredible produce in, in, in ways that the U.S., I think, because of the commercialization of, of the agriculture, you know, in the United States, it isn't the same, right? And so, like, <laughs> life advice again, eat an <laughs> apple in Europe at some point in your life if you're, if you're able to, because it wheat. is one of the most beautiful things. Wheat. Yeah, wheat. Just, I mean, just that example. I mean, you see a lot of people in the U.S. who will have a gluten tolerance and they'll go to Europe. My sisters included who will go to Europe. And be able to eat anything with gluten in it because of the refinement of the wheat in the United States. So it's very interesting. It's very ingredient driven nowadays. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that technique is, is obviously something that really inspires uh, all of us. I mean, uh, right. that we want to showcase right. the techniques that the team and ourselves have, have kind of been brought up with or have learned. Well, that's where the craftsmanship comes in, yeah. right? But it's... As far as what's really on the plate, now it's about, now it's itself, right? Now mm -hmm. it's about, you know, taking these experiences and sure. and really putting it into, you know, like I, I'm looking at what things that EJ and his team are doing right now. And it's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> Much different style than mine. Um, do they taste better? Probably well, not. The coin, yeah. <laughs> probably not, but they, they they probably look better, you know. Yeah, you know, give it, give it, give it a nice haircut. That's what we've done. We've just given it a nice fade down the side. That's all. <laughs> but I, uh, I, I'll say, you know, to to speak on the cookbook aspect of things and how he was asking about it, you know, I think it reflects a mood. We're both musicians in a way, and like music, and it heavily influences what we do in the restaurants and things. And so, I think putting a cookbook out is kind of like putting an album out. Yeah. You know, and I think Essential Emerald was kind of like, I mean, I'm a huge Beatles fan, but kind of like your Abbey Road, right? It was like your collective right. uh, sort of everything. And there were some greatest hits in there and, and, and things that just really will stand the test of time. But um, for me, kind of just now getting into it and, and, and talking about building a repertoire of dishes. I mean, you've got a repertoire of, you know, 80,000, right? And, and, and I'm sitting at a repertoire of a couple hundred. And so it's, it's like to find a way for the two of us to bridge that gap, you know, where you've got all of these dishes that, I mean, I, we were cleaning out one of the office filing cabinets the other day. I think I told you this and I found a <clears throat> menu from 1991. Uh, it's like August 26th, 1991. And it was his handwriting on this oh, like whoa. jotted thing. And I was like, this is so cool. And I'm looking at it, and there were three dishes on a classic menu now at Emeralds that were on the menu then. That's so 91. Cool. 91. And, um, but refined. Refined. Yeah. 91. Uh, but that flavor profile was there. And so, you know, it's, it's those type of things. And, and when we were talking about flipping the concept over at Emeralds and, and sort of forging this new path, when we were having these initial talks about it, there was so much research and development into the history of not only just the restaurant, but of Louisiana. Yeah. You got a dish on the menu now as dobe glace is the, the final course is a beef course. And this is a dish from 1840. Oh, wow. Well, and I, 1840. And then I, I look at one of the very first dishes that I created. Well, I, I, I probably worked on it in 89, and then it finally went on the menu in 90, early 90, which was a smoked salmon cheesecake. Okay. Oh. So um, I, I can't take credit for 
being the creator of savory cheesecakes. <laughs> because, uh, I have a friend that really, she was the first one that kind of did it way back when. But anyhow, I took I took her brilliant idea and I expanded on, up, upon that, which is what a lot of cooking is also. Yeah. And long story short, so that dish was on the menu in uh, 1990. And last night, that dish refined by E.J. Lagasse went back on the menu, wow. but refined. Yeah, it was quite, I was really, really, uh, there's a, somebody has a picture. I don't know where it is, but last night there's a picture of him on the pass and I'm bringing the first of the cheesecake up <laughs> and the smile, he's just like, like, I mean, he was like, you know what I mean? It's just, so it's a good feeling, right? Like, uh, part of, that's a, that's a great feeling, but, uh, you know, and not only that, like, you, you know, you have this this friend who has this, starts the savory cheesecake thing and you're like, oh, I'm going to do something like that. Right. That's cool. Yeah. And then I think that a lot of it is like, you know, we were eating out and, and I, you know, the, the, I get most of the inspiration from hole in the wall spots. I mean, like yeah, I'll eat I, something in some wild spot on a road trip and be like, yeah, especially that's New Orleans you know? is really known for that. This, oh, you know, it, so many good not, hole in the wall spots. It's yeah, the best. exactly. <laughs> I mean, we, were, we were sitting at this hole in the wall uh, po'boy spot like three or four weeks ago when we were just like, look, I'm a big fan of what we do now, but you can't, I mean, this is just, you can't, you know what I mean? I'm like, this is amazing. Like what, it, like, you know, I, I think Colin, I, th I think young people out there, I think that um, it's not a, it's not about how much money you can spend or have to spend. Yeah. But I think it's important to experience when you can experience mm -hmm. uh, food, other food. Yeah. And I think it's also the same thing if you're into wine that that's it's not a, it's not about, you know, drinking the Latour or, or the Margot. It's about just learning and training your taste buds about, you know, that evolution. And and I and the other thing that I I can encourage more is that people need to read more. Oh. And it's so accessible these days, you yeah. know, because and, and like we'll talk like he's like, hey, if I wanted to read about, you know, a chef from France, I had to like go to like I had to go to a bigger library. Yeah, you had to go to a bigger city and go to like a French bookshop and find this book and this thing. And it was, you know, right. $70. Oh, and it was like, oh, that's Pierre Gagné. Yeah, okay, I got it now. And, okay, and now know. and now young people have the ability these days to at their fingertips. Right sort of access the this access. information that is like it's incredible and it's insane. It speeds up some of the process of like the information gathering. Like if somebody's really hungry for it, they can go out and they can learn a whole lot about a lot. Well, and it also puts, uh, I don't want to say difficulties, but it also puts a, a, you know, another level of pressure on because your customers are doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, so they have easy access to go on and say, oh, okay, this is core in London. Okay, great. Yeah. Claire Smith, three three Michelin stars, phenomenal, highest in the UK, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You have that access like that, where before it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't like that. Yeah. You know, but yeah. and so now not only do young culinarians, old culinarians have access to that, but the customer has access to that. So their expectation level, if, you know, if majority, if they're a foodie, their expectation level, Colin, is like, well, let me look into this real quick before I even walk into the door. Yeah. Well, and even the, and even the write-up, you know, these days, 30 years ago, the blurb in the newspaper that was this big 
was the biggest thing that ever happened to the restaurant for you. And now there's blurbs this big getting written by every diner that eats mm-hmm. in the restaurant, whether it be a text to their grandmother, whether it be a, <laughs> you know, a, a Google review, or it, or it be uh, someone posting something on Instagram that has pictures of the food. So it's like, you know, the consistency in experience is extremely important. Yeah. Not the consistency in flavor, though. I don't want someone to come to, to Emeralds and have the same exact flavor with no sort of uh, evolution mm-hmm. for another 30 years. I, I, I'd like them to come and have the same experience so they have that like environment nostalgia. But I, I, I would say that you always want to kind of be progressive with the flavors and, and what they're eating. 100%. For sure, yeah. Ready to unlock the full potential of your media spend? Whether you're looking to launch a new product, build your brand, or help increase sales this quarter, Walmart Connect helps brands make an impact with precise targeting, powerful analytics, and the reach of America's number one retailer. Walmart Connect offers solutions for advertisers of all sizes on and off Walmart's digital properties and in their stores. From cost-effective sponsored search and self-serve display ads on Walmart's site and apps to connected TV and off-site media across web and social to in-store activations and live events, Walmart Connect can help you deliver the right content to the right Walmart customer at the right step of their shopping journey. And Walmart Connect's closed-loop measurement means they can track the full impact of your campaign on sales, not just on Walmart's site and app, but also in-store. For some campaigns, they can even provide rest-of-market data that tracks the impact on sales at other retailers. Visit walmartconnect.com today to find out how you can start connecting with Walmart's 139 million weekly online and in-store customers. Walmart Connect. More than media. Meaningful connections. So, no, I agree with that. That's like me with pralines. Like I'm obsessed yeah. with pralines. So if I go somewhere and people are like, oh, they have the best ones. Like I'm like, okay, but it has to have this consistency. Like the actual pecans have to have, be like this. And I'll be able to explain to people like why I think such and such is the best one versus like, could be like, oh, that's, it was just good. Like, no, like I need to, <laughs> I need to walk you through the notes, the taste, like all yeah. of that. <laughs> we have to do a blind tasting of, of the pralines. <laughs> right. And, and EJ, you brought up a good point, too, about your menu. Like, do you have, like, a process or, like, a way you come up, like, kind of, like, prep and get ready for it? Like, you were saying you're working on the spring and summer one. Do you have, like, a process that you do to like, kind of, like, prepare it? So, I mean, look, we have a we have an amazing team, and they're all immensely talented, and, and, and a lot of them are highly trained in technique and uh, flavor profile and everything. And so um, we sort of get together. We have a war room office, right? There's, like, whiteboards all over the place. And uh, what we'll do is we'll get in touch with our farmers, our purveyors, and see what they're going to be growing for and, and, and have it ready for, uh, you know, the summer. So I just got off the phone yesterday before we changed our menu into the winter menu. I just got off the phone with some local farmers about, hey, look, can you are you going to be able to have this in the summer? And, and then, hey, look, also looking ahead, what are you going to have in the fall of next year? So then once I kind of gather all the information about what's going to be available to us, I I put it all up on the board. So I have a produce board and then I have a protein board. And so um, what fish is best this time of year? Cold water. So you're looking at scallops. You're looking at unbelievable shellfish right now. Um, and, you know, in the summer, you want to go a little bit lighter on the palate, especially in New Orleans because it's so hot. Goodness. So you're looking at, <laughs> at flaky, you know, delicate fish. You're looking at um, not, not, not anything, you know, sort of, lighter reduction stuff. You're not looking at taking 
um, you know, uh, beef scraps and making this reduced, highly concentrated beef sauce. You're not going to do that in the summer because nobody wants to eat right. beef stew in the <laughs> summer. You know what I mean? It's so hot. I go inside. Right. I want snow cones and, uh, and, 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 and lollies and all of that, you know, the, all mm-hmm. of that stuff instead of, you know, uh, you, you don't want this sort of heavy food. So get all of that together and then go, okay, you know, what goes, what goes here and how can we like sort of manipulate the ingredient technique wise while still letting the ingredient be the star of the show. You never want anything to sort of take away from that just amazing here, Louisiana produce, you know what I mean? And I'm really proud of the fact that most of the stuff we use, um, Besides your very, uh, you know, uh, uh, basic things, celery and, and, and potato and things like that, pretty much everything is from the Louisiana region, southeast Louisiana, uh, north Louisiana. You're dealing with some Gulf Coast stuff, especially when it comes to seafood, obviously. But, um, but well, nothing is really, really ridiculous. The only thing we are big on is we import our butter from France. <laughs> That's the only like because it's just you can't. You can't beat that. You can't beat that. And I think that, you know, a lot of that foundation stems from 35 plus years ago. Uh, I had some local farmers, Mississippi farmers, and we would sit down a couple of times a year and have a crop report and basically say, okay, you know, because the soil also changes. You you can't grow things in the same soil over and over and over again. It It just doesn't, it just doesn't work. It ruins it. So, they have to be on their game as far as what they're going to change and how they're going to fertilize it, et cetera, et cetera, naturally. And then this crop report comes up, which is kind of what EJ is talking about with yeah. this, this produce uh, board, you know, and the same, same goes with, with the fishermen, um, whether they specialize in crab or, or lobster or uh, what, what kind of crab it's, you know, I mean, peaky toe is different than blue crab. So, and then basically, you know, this, this protein list comes about, but based on the information of what the fishermen, what they feel, because, hey, look, they're the guys out there every day, almost every day. They, they know what's biting, what's not, what's, what's getting low in demand, what's, what's becoming, uh, you know, may, maybe right on the border of, you know. Yeah. You know so that whole process starts. And then it's. Then from there, it's really like EJ said, it's an internal conversation, many conversations about brainstorming together about, okay, what, what is this looking like? It's not about just, oh, I like this today and, oh, I like this tomorrow. It's not that. It has to make sense. I figured this out for somebody the other day because somebody asked me what it was and, and, I, and we keep very good notes of it. So I kind of added it all together. And we found out that to put a dish on the the dining room menu at Emeralds, on the tasting menu at Emeralds, not the not the salon, because that we rotate very because mm-hmm. it's a la carte dining and it's a bit more casual fare. But for the tasting menu, we're at an average of about seven to eleven weeks of testing. Oh wow! Before we put a dish on the menu. Wow. Yeah. So there's no guinea pigs, Colin. Yeah, no. Well, and, and so I know, and our philosophy is like, I, I, when, when, to circle back even to him saying that the, we, you know, we we owe it to the to our guests. Uh, we have a standard that we have to that we have to uphold to the guests. They also don't deserve to be the guinea pig for things. So, 
Well, especially now in uh, once we reopened Emeralds oh, after yeah. the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. We decided that we we're going to make major change, um, and that is is that you know we're not interested in doing volume. Um, we're interested in doing high quality. We're interested in giving the guests the best experience that we possibly can do, and excite them with food and service and and hospitality and cleanliness. And basically, you know, we're not we're not inexpensive, yeah. uh, and so uh, the pressure that that puts on us and and our team, both front and back, is like. There's no room for there's no room for error. So and, and, and it's not because we want to we want to you know break any you know ceilings or anything like that. It's just the pressure I think goes on our on ourselves because we we know what we owe to the guests, right? We know the expectation that they have. We know that we're entrusted from a responsibility standpoint of taking care of some of the most memorable nights possibly of their lives, if they're celebrating a birthday or an anniversary or a, a, a job promotion or something, they're entrusting us with guiding them for that evening. And, you know, I, I, I think that when we decided we were going to change emeralds, we, we both have the same attitude of if you're, if you're going to do something, why wouldn't you try to be the best or try to be in that conversation, you know, mm-hmm. and and not off of like personal greed or anything. Just just because owing it to our guests, New Orleans is stuck behind us for thirty three years, and so I had a, I had a guest the other night ask me that you know why why New Orleans, you know why would why are you trying this in New Orleans? Why are you this whole thing? And my answer to them was the city of New Orleans and and, and Louisiana and the Gulf Coast region has has promoted and supported us for thirty three years. And so my belief is that, and I know you share this belief, is is that we sort of owe it to to them, to New Orleans, to the Southeast, to and ourselves, yeah, to 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 to, to really, you know, um, do something that we're proud of and, and provide an experience that's memorable, and and that they'll talk about uh, amongst themselves, and make them proud as well. You know, that's that's a that's a big thing for me is. So people go okay, you know, we 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 we're, we're proud of that. We're happy to have them here. You know what I mean? And I feel like well, you brought up a good point too about like make having them like feel like they're a part of it and stuff. Um, like outside of the walls, is there a way that you guys like interact with your customers more? Like whether it's throwing events or um, having a foundation or stuff to like really make them feel like you're a part of the community and it's like a two way street that it's not just you all serving them, but like they get to serve back and interact and kind of be Surely, part of it. Uh, I mean, we can speak on on the foundation. Well, and twenty years ago, we started the Emerald Legacy Foundation, which is really about mentoring children and providing uh, mostly culinary experiences for for kids. Um, and and we have done some really really amazing amazing things. Uh, um, so that's number one, uh, and and that for me was a big. Uh, a big community role, but a personal role uh, for my wife and I first and foremost was to have like an awesome foundation. And like EJ was saying, if we're going to do it, we'll let's, let's do the same mentality. Mm -hmm. You know, we've, we've built culinary schools and we've built 
kitchen gardens and 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 really we've touched a lot of a lot of young people so that on the side is um it's not the same it's not a different philosophy it's just a it's it's a different it's a a different uh daily daily thing that you know we do mm-hmm. and then on the restaurant side you know there's uh, there's an equal part of that responsibility as ej was saying to not only to the community but about mentoring these young people. We have some people right now, a lot of people actually right now, uh, particularly at Emeralds that are, are young, um, maybe didn't have the ability to come from a culinary school, um, uh, but they have heart and they have passion and they have a desire to learn. You know, I can I can teach anybody to cook if they have a desire to want to learn and that have that passion that they want to, that they want to learn. One of, one of my favorite movies as a kid was Ratatouille. And yes, Ratatouille come on, Remy. Anyone, yes. anyone can cook, you know, it's, it's uh, unbelievable. And it's so true. And so I, I, I think tying that in with, with the, with the foundation and, and sort of, and sort of giving back from a min, even, even just from a mentoring perspective um, and allowing the city to take part in that and know where it's going and, and know what it's doing and, you know, you can see what the foundation's doing. There's brick and mortar buildings where you can mm-hmm. see what's going on. And and then, you know, it's it, it sort of just it, you create an intertwined culture between the restaurants and the foundation. Right. And so it's sort of this simultaneous loop of um, mentoring and developing and, and, and teaching and and helping each other out, right? And I know that our team would do anything for us, and I and I I know that we would do anything for our team. And I, I'd give the, the the shirt off my back, and so would you. But I also know that they would do the same for us, and so that um, it's a really humbling feeling, you know, um, to to experience that for sure. No, I love that. And like, I know we talked about it for a little bit, but what is some advice that you guys would have for any, whether it's a young person or older person who's wanting to kind of start a culinary career, whether it be a rest, like starting a restaurant or becoming a chef, like what advice would you have for them to like kind of start with? Like, you know, I, I'll give you a, uh, one one story before I get into the, uh, you know, I have a lot of stories, but I had I had a gentleman <laughs> uh, some some years ago very very successful in the in the carpet business believe it or not who would have thunk <laughs> um and he was um he was starting to get up there not that he was old but he was starting to, he was in his 50s uh, beyond mid 50s but not quite 60 and he came to me and he said um you know I'm very successful in the carpet business I've made millions of dollars um, don't need to be even having this conversation with you, but I'm going to, cause I want to get your advice, but I'm 50 some years old and I want to cook and I don't want to be in the carpet business anymore. And I said, Walt, let me tell you something. You're never too old. You're never too young and you're never too old. If you want to learn. If you want to learn how to cook, age is just a number. Yeah, mm-hmm. Just come on and we'll get the process going. And he turned out to be a very, very successful uh, 
cook. He actually became a sous chef eventually uh, at the age of over 60. Um, and so, it, you know, it, it's one thing about young people and about explaining to them about being mentored. And, but it, it's not only just young people. It's if, if you have the want and the desire to do and, and not just not just in the restaurant business in whatever occupation and you put your mind to it, then you could do it. Yeah, I, I, I think that, I, I, you know, that's the best way to say it. I think that the thing is, is, you know, you really if you have that passion, I think you, the, the, the culinary arts is one of those things like art like music any anything in that realm mm-hmm. where if you anyone is anyone is capable if that makes sense and i know that might sound ridiculous but anyone is capable if they genuinely want to do it and and look success in the field of art fashion music food anything like that really doesn't come down to a monetary thing mm-hmm. success from that comes from sort of this inner fulfillment of um, being sort of proud of what you're doing. Um, And so all of those things, um, all of those industries, you really can make a difference in it if you have the heart to, to do it. And it's, and it's a breath of fresh air in a world where there's, where there's, you know, so much inequality in so many different areas. Um, It really is a breath of fresh air when you can say any person, any person can cook. Yeah, I, I've never, I, I've never have got up in the morning and said, "Oh God, I got to go to my job." <laughs> yep, exactly. You know, exactly. it's that's not even in my vocabulary. It's just about who I am and what I do and what I want to do and what I love to do and people that I want to be around and love to be around and. And people that I want to share and, and and people that come through the front door and that I want them to be happier when they leave than when they came through the front door. Yeah. Work, uh, work in, 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 in some ways should, shouldn't always, you know, be a chore. It should be something that you really enjoy. And so my advice to young people would be find that, find that avenue and really try not to think about measuring success from a monetary standpoint mm-hmm. and measure success from, from that inner fulfillment. And I, and I promise you those other things will come, right? That's sort of the, that's sort of the outlook. But if you truly are passionate about something, then, you know, make that your, make that your livelihood. If you can, if you have that wonderful gift of that, and that's been given to you and, and be grateful for it and be happy that you're able to do that because not everybody can. No, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I couldn't say it better myself. Drops mic. <laughs> and for my last question is a fun one. Like for both of you, like do you both have like a favorite dish or dessert or anything that you like to cook that is just like your favorite go to? What's 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 a favorite little like uh at home, wow, not man. restaurant. <laughs> you know, We're doing the heavy it, hitter. <laughs> it could be it could be a stir fry. It could be a roast chicken. It could be just a simple bolognese. It could be sausage ragu. Yeah, it yeah, could yeah. be so those those like comforting. Yeah, really, just, nothing but red beans and rice. Yesterday we yeah, did staff food. Red beans and rice. Oh. It could be a 
pretty awesome jambalaya. I made uh, some I mashed jambalaya. potatoes today. I know, I know. And now, just, I'm, now, I'm, now I'm here in yeah, trouble. I'm just be simple smashed potatoes. <laughs> Salt, pepper, a little butter. And- On a dessert side of things, they're a pain. But nothing better than a fantastically done souffle. Yeah. I mean, they're a pain to make, but they are. Yeah. We, uh, we had some pretty nice ones going out last night. I can tell you that. Yeah, I did eat And of course, to, to banana be cream pie with banana crust and caramel at Emeralds is. Uh, I dream about that. I really <laughs> if, if we tried to take that off the menu, we would be shot. We would be shot. <laughs> yeah, it would be, you shot. know, it wouldn't be pretty. No. But, you know, but those, those simple home cooked meals yeah. result. Uh, in, in, in great experiences and to circle back even to the beginning of our conversation, that family table, yeah, that's, you know, that's, and sitting yeah, and sitting there and, and eating red beans and rice and eating jambalaya and eating like, you and know, eating, all the good stuff. Eating ricotta stuffed meatballs with red sauce. And- like some, some of the most amazing times ever. And so, you know, as much as we, we work in the fine dining realm, we do love the, we do love the home cooking. Come yeah. on. <laughs> I don't really eat I don't really eat burgers outside of, you know, but I I like I love burgers. Yeah. If I'm going to do them, I'll just cook them at home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nothing nothing like a grilled burger like done yourself. So I Yeah, exactly. I, like the homemade, you put the mustard and the down kind of somewhat caramelize them a little bit. We got to stop. I'm getting yeah. too hungry. Yeah, I was like I'm, you guys make me hungry. Colin's going to have to go on a, yeah, on a second like, lunch. Hey, hey, he's already hey, on a diet. He's Look at it. Wait, second lunch unbelievable. <laughs> well, honestly, but EJ Emerald, thank you guys so much. This thank was you, Colin. Colin. Thank you. This, this, appreciate this has been great. We'd love to have you in yeah, the restaurant at and, some point. And listen, we'd love to be back on your show as well. So yeah, you guys are welcome back anytime. Well, and cheers, I will appreciate that. definitely invite myself back to New Orleans soon. Yes, right. we'll have to let have us, you. We'll let see us you know. soon. <laughs> thank you. Wow. How great was this episode? If you were like me, you probably took a lot of notes and have a lot of questions and comments. So if you do, feel free to add us at Adweek across Twitter, Instagram, all the social medias. And we'd love to hear from you all. And feel free to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. That always helps us. And we can't wait to hear from you all and see you in the next episode. So bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Young Influentials, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Al Manorino, executive produced by Chris Aarons, and edited by Lane McGibney at Bountwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. If you expect your media investment to deliver clear, measurable results, Walmart Connect can help you get there with powerful analytics and the reach of America's number one retailer. Their closed-loop measurement uses Walmart's proprietary customer purchase data to track the impact of your campaigns on sales, not just on Walmart's site and app, but also in-store. For some campaigns, they can even provide rest-of-market data that tracks the impact on sales at other retailers. Visit walmartconnect.com today and see how they can help make your media spend meaningful. Walmart Connect. More than media? meaningful connections.